1: at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2.
3: The Witcher Season 3, Episode 3 Reunion is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello everybody, Mike Bloom here back to recap the midway point of The Witcher Volume 1. As we enter a new month and looking down the barrel of some brand new episodes, we reflect back on perhaps the last time we will see our characters scattered to the winds, and those winds, they are a rustling. The Wild Hunt is on its way, but also on its way. I got... A package delivered to my door between recordings here. I had a note on it that said, Do not open until you record The Witcher Season 3, Episode 3 recaps. Let me just uh, get this bad boy open here. Oh, God. Oh, God. It's Josh Wiggler's head. Surprise. Hello. It's me, Josh Wiggler's head.
4: Oh, my God. Josh, that that's the rest you... of my body. Yeah. I is that what like you this. sound like when your body's disconnected yep. from your head? Yes. It's me. Just Josh Wiggler's head in a box. Surprise. Well, listen,
3: you are full of surprises, this being one of them. Would you care this to stay is the and law. talk about
4: it's The law of surprise.
3: Yeah. Oh, does this mean I get to keep you now? Yeah. This, this is what was promised to me your head yeah, in a box? But, but the price
4: is you got to take your head off and put it in a box and send it to Josh Wigler's body, and then you guys change heads.
3: Oh, the old head off. Yes. Head I remember off. this deal.
2: Yeah, that's right. We did a head trade. <laughs> we did a head trade. You <laughs> forgot about the head trade we said we would do.
3: Yeah, listen, a lot of uh, sleepless nights over bunches of ale will produce a lot of odd <laughs> wagers, and yeah. I've yet again found myself in a pickle here. This but... is why Josh
2: Wiggler's body stopped drinking ale, because he kept <laughs> making deals where he would trade his head to people.
3: Well, let me just pop that head back on before you give yourself any sort of throat call oh. Uh oh, man. I got to remember to stop offering my
2: head to people in exchange for goods and services. Never stop. Listen, okay. you can only
3: offer what you have on hand or on head. Well, listen, let's move from head offs to heading off this episode at the pass. Josh Winkler, episode three, we see Geralt uh, certainly progress in the big mystery that was left at the end of episode two. We see Siri and Yennefer have... Their only momentary conflict in a very unique setting, Redania accelerates in many different ways, and poor, poor Rabia Melf gets... I had remembered it was his throat slash, but I guess he just gets stabbed in the neck.
2: Yeah, neck stabbing isn't so good. That's not the preferred way to take the head off if you're going to go and trade it with somebody for goods and services.
3: Yeah, I should have said that I did hire that random servant that Philippa Alhart was sleeping with to cut off your head. It took many an hour, but I paid her for her work in kind.
2: Yes. Uh, Again, Robbie Amell needs to be more careful with his head, I think.
3: Yeah, listen, this seems to be a tendency with this character. I haven't pointed this out before, but I guess we will talk a lot about Gallatin and his fawn farewell. What did you make of Robbie Amell's character voice, which is like... His character voice is not unlike
2: my voice when my head is removed from my body. Yeah. Robbie Amell, hello.
3: It's a a very British Batman thing. British Batman? Isn't that just most of the Batman? Well, yeah, I was going to say that's what everyone thought Robert Pattinson would be when he was announced as a Batman. But for some reason, it just didn't feel right on Robbie Amell's body. Maybe it's just because, again, I regard him as more of the boy-next-door protagonist type than this, like, Died in the wool in the trenches rogue elf leader. So, I don't know. It, it, it was an interesting sort of square peg to fit into a round hole, but that round hole is promptly at the base of his neck as he no longer has life nor head.
2: Yeah, uh, some, some, uh, some some tragedies occurring in The Witcher here in Reunion. Among those tragedies will be, of course, Geralt finding out about his mom, and he's going to talk about his Oh, mom. my mother.
3: Yeah, that's very sad. Doing should, we, his... should Henry Cavill have played Jennifer Coolidge's role in The White Lotus? No, but Jennifer, White Wolf
2: Lotus. Jennifer Coolidge should have played the White Wolf Lotus's mother for sure. Mm,
4: uh, and I'm not, like,
2: Yeah, I'm not totally sold on the fact that we won't get something like
3: that in the future. Makes me want an elixir real bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's let's get into this before more stupidity (laughs) belays our expedition into reunion here. But we start with some, you know, frivolity here. I know you said there's a lot of tragedy, but Josh, let's start with some romance as a parrot welcomes us in to episode three. Apparently uh, this is how the episode begins. Do you think this is gonna be Chekhov's parrot and this parrot is gonna like leak information about okay. Radovid And
2: so let me let me offer this this up. Um, I'm trying to track the Vigeforts stuff. Mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. right i think that that is our responsibility here having watched the first half of season 3 already and now trying to map it on to uh, a rewatch of season 3 thus far we know that Vilgefortz is on the side of the anaconda snakes um but it hasn't been the most satisfying thing uh you know he has not been deeply in the show this season so far when he has shown up it has been like kind of double entendre loaded but Otherwise, it just hasn't been like a big thing. And yeah just...
3: we, we should say like every odd episode he seems to be out right episode one he wasn't in it sans the cut to his hands last episode to your point had a good amount of him and that was laced entirely perhaps making up for lost time and then this episode nowhere to be seen well
2: the actor isn't um but you do get the sense that perhaps Vilgefortz is here when uh Taryn is gonna go full exorcist mode Mm -hmm. and stop just short of spilling out pea soup everywhere (laughs) Geralt
3: your mother's dead and you'll know what she's doing in hell
2: that feels like uh, Vilgefort's puppeting her, right? Like
3: seems to be something of the the idea there. I was trying to think about what is that otherworldly voice if that was the actress. The only thing I could think of is if it's possibly Lydia's voice will get reintroduced to Lydia re introduced to Lydia in this episode that maybe she is the one that possessed her because that voice did not sound like the actress's voice
2: well so the thought that I had to tie the knot is that if Vilgefortz is puppeting Taryn then the thought got me to what if somebody is puppeting Vilgefortz and so like Mm. the Vilgefortz that has been outed by the end of episode 5 is either A, not the Vilgeforts that we have known all this time, and so there's some other sort of like shadow bad guy a la, I don't know, pick your Final Fantasy game, or it's that we never knew who Vilgeforts was anyway, uh, and so somebody has been like puppeteering Vilgeforts from the beginning as well. And all of these thoughts are triggered by, what if that's Vilgeforts and a parrot?
3: <laughs> well, we have had evidence of mages taking the form of animals. Look at Philippa, who was an owl for the entirety of season two. So We're going to get yeah. a
2: druid in this episode. There could be some wild shaping going on.
3: Yeah, maybe all mages just have a bird form. Maybe Yennefer can turn into a parakeet at a moment's notice, and she just hasn't done so. If she believes in herself hard enough, Yes exactly that's when she lost her magic she realized she didn't have the ability to turn into a parakeet again that's what she really wanted back that's what she was willing to give siri away for yes well the parrot has flown the coop and so has josh's theory at the moment as i remember our first glance at yaskier in episode one it was like him getting thrown out by this lover vespula i thought we were done with this character evidently we're not as he is going to make his way back there to sort of think out loud Ed Sheeran style in true musician fashion about everything that is happening. He's going to compare Geralt to a hammer where every problem is a nail. But the problem is you can't hammer a bowl of porridge. The solution requires a different kind of tool. And Radovid is that tool. And I will say the first time we watched this batch of episodes, Josh, partially of the way through this Radovid certainly did seem like a tool. Mm-hmm,
2: definitely. Uh, and so like now he is uh, the great love interest of yaskier's life so we look at him quite differently
3: yeah and so does Vespila, right she's like listen i know you have sweetness on this boy you keep talking about him you're talking about him and look at him in a very different way than you ever did anybody uh and yaskier says the only fondness he has is for the family goat that is gerald also get some fun exploits from yaskier he slept with a polymorphid once and he regrets nothing. Talk about wild shaping, Josh. Yeah. So wild and wild shaping.
2: Yeah, I believe when you're polymorphed, uh, you take all of the attributes of the thing you've been polymorphed into, including the intelligence. So, like, if somebody, like, polymorphed into a dinosaur, the dinosaur now would just think of the dinosaur. So, anyway, all of that is to say that whatever happened with y- Yaskier might have been a, um, a truly wild ride.
3: I mean, is it weird of me to say that it seems less outrageous if they were transforming into inanimate objects rather than animals because that feels like it crosses a boundary if they turn into a dinosaur. Yeah, the polymorph, it turned into a microwave. Yeah, and he's like, okay, well, this will be creative. I yeah. think just slams it in the microwave over and over again. Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting, I guess. I mean, listen, Yaskir says that he doesn't have crushes. He has mind-bending, world-ending, heart-wrenching affairs. Maybe something else is getting bent in that process as well.
2: I kind of feel like trying to fornicate with a microwave is sort of like trying to uh, have Geralt kill a bowl of porridge.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's just... Wrong solution to yeah. the right problem. Yeah. Well, Geralt is trying to find a solution in the Yaskier as he is going to take him out into the woods to find this fake Siri. We called her Alexa. Her real name is Taryn. Pick whatever you want to. She is babbling to herself about how there's no room for vermin. There's always a source. And from what we know about her in retrospect, Josh, I would assume... Vermin that...
2: source. Vermin source. Vilgefortz.
3: Oh my God. It was there the whole time. I would imagine that this is taken from the fact that she is a student at Eratusa and was kidnapped by Vilgeforts. And so her talking about the source is something that Tissaia speaks about all the time and therefore was sort of a hint as to where she was taken from. Okay, interesting. That's what I imagine. I don't think we should make anything else of her ramblings besides that. It's nothing. It's nothing prophetic. Again, remember, she is sort of like a mind-controlled experiment at this point. Sure, yeah. So Geralt and Jaskier and Alexa are going to go to Annika, who is a druid and a friend of his mother's. But she is not alone. She is joined by Otto. And Geralt wa- just,
2: like, is one of those, like, New Yorkers who knows every other New Yorker, uh, it feels like. Because he shows up at Annika the Druids, and then Otto the werewolf is here. It's like, Otto, what are you doing here? Small world, Otto and Annika
3: are... Uh... Uh, doing the microwave, as it were. Now, do you think Otto takes off the necklace? You know, does she really like <laughs> it that down and dirty?
2: Is that sort of like a polymorphic situation? Uh, yeah, I
3: mean, I guess the question is, how much control does he have over his like and form? Doesn't seem
2: like a lot, which is why he wears the thing. So, no, I don't think he takes off the thing. Always wear protection, Mike.
3: Yeah, to your point about Geralt, I mean, when you live for over a hundred years and your job is just traveling the continent slaying monsters... It does make sense that he has this, like, insanely large Rolodex of people. And it's something that I love. What did you make of the name Otto the Werewolf? I can't Otto tell the if, Werewolf? <laughs> I can't tell if it's, like, incredibly modern, anachronistically so, or so brilliant. Um, so I don't think that I can weigh in on the
2: silliness of Otto the Werewolf, having gone to a school where my motto was Otto the Orange Man. So uh, Otto the werewolf is
3: cooler than that. Your motto was Otto? Yeah, our mascot. Our mascot, rather. Yeah, Otto the orangeman. Are you sad that we didn't get to see a werewolf transformation? I mean, we'll talk about the last scene where the CGI is a bit iffy. Maybe they just ran out of visual (laughs) effects. No, I don't know. I
2: think that the werewolf transformation as captured on film is a really hard thing to do. I think that it was probably at its best in like that universal monster era of like, Mm. what is it, like 30s, 40s, 50s, like the old school stuff. And the best that I've seen was probably, like, in the modern era, was the Disney Plus Werewolf by Night special. Right. uh, A rare occasion where, like, the Marvel VFX was subtle. uh, And the style of that project was harkening back to to those old Universal Monster movies. Uh, So it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, like, if The Witcher suddenly went, like, sepia-toned or gray-toned, and, like, you saw, like, the claws coming out of the nails and the hair growing out. Like, tonally, it just would not mix. And I think, like, every other time we've tried to, like, CGI the werewolf. Looking at you, Jacob. Uh, Looking at you, Remus Lupin. Like, it just never looks right. Never looks right.
3: Well, in this moment, Otto is going to stay in his human form as we discover that Annika is not only a friend of Geralt's mom, but a morning Friend of Geralt's mom, as she is treating Taryn, she is going to reveal that she met Otto because they happen to be mourning in the same temple. She was lighting a candle for Vicenna, who is Geralt's mom. And this is going to be Geralt's big emotional arc of the episode, if not the first five episodes, where he takes a significant pause to realize that she has died. We'll get into it a lot more with his personal history with his mother but you and I spoke about this on the episode by episode recap and I'll affirm it here watching it back some of Henry Cavill's best work in the entire series in this episode
2: yeah I think so like getting him sort of thinking about his mom and his past and all of that and the uh the scene later on in this episode of like I would have done anything to make her laugh like gosh that's really sweet it's sweet stuff
3: yeah, so fake Siri is not taking a sweet substance right now. She's given an uh, extraction elixir, I believe it is, as Annika is going to expose it to us that there's a whole hybrid of magic being used on her right now. Whoever this mage is that did this to her has a lifetime of knowledge and a variety of interests. And we have a variety of interests in our ensemble as we see what's going on with Yen and Siri in their location for this episode, Gors Valen. And we are going to check in on one delightful, unfortunately short in both screen time and stature. John Cardi, the dwarfish bank owner.
2: My sweet Yennefer, it's the most sumptuous of pleasures, as always. Uh, Love John Cardi. John Cardi is hitting uh, just as well as he did on the first pass so far. Uh, What if John Cardi is also uh, Vilgefortz? What if Vilgefortz is puppeteering (laughs) John Cardi as well?
3: Aha, I was on my knees the entire Mm -hmm. time to make it look like I was a dwarf.
2: That's it, that's it. But I still kept the
3: accent. Yeah,
2: yeah. I love him. I love him. I think he's great. I think he's great.
3: I also am just a big fan of the fact that in The Witcher, we're sort of sticking to this, like, Game of Thrones. Everyone is sounding vaguely British, even if you're Robbie Amell. And this is the case where we stray outside of that particular part of the continent, a very different one in favor of another going more Mediterranean here. Plus the fact that it seems like he's keeping it within the family relatively because he is going to send out someone to assist Siri in the little shopping spree she's going to go on for the afternoon. His assistant named Fabio.
2: Fabio, yeah. Um, I don't know why Fabio is the one that's funnier to me than Otto, but it is.
3: Yeah, I think it's perhaps because of our survivor affiliation, and I guess true to Fabio, this is sort of a long-haired, foppish guy that proves to be surprisingly a strong force in the physical game near the end of this episode. Ah, that's right, yeah. He's like, don't
2: mess with Giancardo, bitch.
3: Yeah, exactly. Now, could that pickpocket have been Nayanka and actually stole Fabio's socks off of him? Mm -hmm, Yeah. Does anyone have a leg that could be stolen? (laughs) I mean, listen, people are losing limbs all the time. We're at war right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if this mysterious lady was stealing limbs as well for no particular reason. Rocket raccoon style.
2: That's right. That's right.
3: So, yeah, Yennefer is going to essentially send Siri off to be by herself alongside Fabio for the afternoon while she attends to some business. She's going to give her a talisman that's going to prove essentially useless. Uh, Yeah, you know, just use this as like a find my phone app. If you get in trouble, recite the spell. And she like literally puts her head up and pushes her off. She has other things to take care of. Other things to be done today. That's correct. Let's go to Redania here. Josh, we need to start with whatever the hell game Visamir is playing at uh, this moment.
2: Yeah, uh, well, first of all, just in coming to this scene, having talked about Fabio, I can't help but notice that Rodovid kind of has a little bit of a, a Judd Beerza vibe.
3: Yeah, uh, and is he like the Guillermo Fias right now, one of the best tennis players, according to one particular Survivor player?
2: I think that's right. But
3: yeah, they're playing like some
2: version of like, it's sort of like, soccer meets fencing meets volleyball meets dodgeball meets bocce. It's a lot of things. And also there's like a giant bowl in the middle. So the goal is to like, here's a ball. You throw it down at the table. It bounces off the table and ideally into the goal, but you can like swipe and catch the ball, but you also have to wear protective gear because the ball will kill you if it hits you.
3: Right, it seems like you're playing handball with a metal ball, essentially, where you have to bounce it off the dish, and it has to get into the goal behind you, but you could, Air Bud fashion, feasibly knock your opponent to the ground with such percussive force from your throw, and then you win that way either way.
2: Unbelievable. What a strange game that's being thrown into season three, episode three of The Witcher. We've never seen this before, have we?
3: No, between this and Boulder Parchment Dagger, Redania just has games on games on games.
2: I understand why you ask, you're intrigued.
3: Well, Dijkstra's trying to play head games right now, so this is something we didn't mention in Episode 2, but it gets brought up by Radovid at the end of this episode, that Vizimir actually had a clandestine meeting with Nilfgaard without Dijkstra or Philippa knowing, and that's because Vizimir reveals that he has brokered a deal with Nilfgaard in the event that he happens to find Siri. She is then handed off to Nilfgaard. Then, when Nilfgaard makes its inevitable march north, Redania will be ignored, and they'll get a little bit of something on the side, a little bit of half of Temeria. Dijkstra caught in a rare moment of hot-headedness, where he just bellows, you are being conned right now. And Vizimir is going to promptly shut him down, saying, you merely provide the intelligence, I'm the one who makes the decisions. And uh, as Vizimir goes off to meet with Nilfgaard, Dijkstra and Philippa complain loudly in the hallway about it. We should also mention that in the last episode, if you take a brief glance at Rian's burning poor Cotringer and Fenn alive, you'll see an owl flap into frame very briefly. That was Philippa. Remember, Philippa oh, was right, going to yeah. go visit the detectives as well to get intel out of them about the employer. And so she is going to relay what she found out last episode. She saw the portal that they took. Much like what Yennefer talked about, it was different. It was more powerful. She's going to reveal later on that those portals got past her protection enhancements, uh, enchantments on the castle to get into Redania in the first place. And so she is going to encourage Dijkstra to use Radovid. Time for him to cut his teeth. But these two guys are seeing far from eye to eye right now.
2: No, and they're still not going to be seeing eye to eye at the end of the episode too. But, uh, you know, uh, when he says like, what do you want me to do? Shadow my brother's wife. I feel like that's where it's like, huh, you know, I really wanted to take the prince's head off, but this is kind of a better idea. I wonder if this is where he gets it from.
3: Right. And I'm surprised Dietrich didn't go along with that logic later on. I guess he does a little bit when the head is found of, oh, theoretically you aided us of, I actually just took your idea. Great idea, Radovid. So glad Mm -hmm. I got to work with you. I I totally should have cut off the queen's head and I did. Yeah. So Yennefer and Tissaia are going to have a meeting for the first time in a long time. And this is where they're going to come to blows a bit, right? Yennefer is going to call say out on We've been hunted throughout the entire continent. Seems like somebody may have leaked the confidential information that I gave her about Siri being alive. Uh, and so Taseya is going to point out the sort of hypocrisy on saying, Why are you chastising me for my take on Northern politics when? oh, hey, we got on their shit list in the first place because you let the prisoner go. What mess will you leave us with this time? And they're going to take things all the way back to one of Yennefer's first days in Aratuza when she tried to kill herself. Yennefer says, I was so desperate to control my destiny. And Taseya says, you weren't taking control. You were losing it. And so Yennefer is going to really make this emotional plea that this is the only place where Siri can discover control of her destiny that she may be the cause of war right now but perhaps she can be the way to lead them out of it and this exchange ends with a very meaningful line that you and I pointed out in the episode by episode as well from Tissaia after all this time after all your searching you actually did it became a mother
2: yeah uh but it's sort of there's somewhere uh in the line between like this is Yennefer wanting to help Ciri and also like Jennifer like being like a little bit of like uh, what is it like a dance mom something like that <laughs> you know
3: yeah a little bit of a stage mom right trying to be like go ahead Siri do your thing I know you can my girl's the most talented girl on the entire continent yeah uh, well she's not wrong well right now the only thing Siri's talented at is just shoveling down those spiral donuts that Fabio's talking about in the marketplace yeah
2: Yeah, they look so good still, especially because I haven't eaten anything, but I am pretty hungry right now, and I kind of want to go and go to the marketplace and get some of those uh, little churro donuts.
3: And poor Fabio, he's wheat intolerant. I can't imagine there's many, like, dietary needs that are taken care of on this continent. Yeah, I don't think so. So, Siri is going to happen to see a painting of Aratuza. And Fabia is going to tell her a little bit of a ghost story, right? Which is an actual story. So I suppose it is a, a not myth necessarily about, oh, all the students that fail get taken underneath it and turned into eels and shoveled in to be the power of the source for all the magic. And this is going to lead Siri down the frightful path of her getting some cold feet about Aratuza, I would say, with this idea of, oh, it's not really this bastion, this haven of magical knowledge that I once thought that it would be A lot tougher. It's like military school, but even worse consequences.
2: Yeah. uh, She's going to have a few moments in this episode where she's like, I don't really like this stuff. Uh, I got to tell you, Yennefer, like you're acting like a total fake, a fraud. Uh, If this is what my destiny is going to lead me towards, I'm not particularly interested
3: in it. And what did you think about that argument from Siri? Do you think it makes sense with the character? Do you agree with it? Yeah, I think that it's not her speed. It's not her. It's not her
2: world. Certainly, it hasn't been since her. You know, the majority of her time on the show has been basically being in some version of on the run. Uh, so, like, I feel like she has had to face so many things that are way too real to be fake now. And it's, and aside, you know, especially because like somebody's out there currently being a fake series, so it would be redundant.
3: Yeah, that's very true as well. I mean, is gonna talk about it in a couple scenes from now, right? She's a princess, Gerald. That's what princesses do. They sit on little royal thrones and they have little royal babies. And I think this episode is a really nice affirmation that Siri is not a princess, right? Because what is she what she's going to blanch at Yennefer for doing is essentially politicking and bullshitting, which is like, as Yaskir mentions, all you basically do when you're a princess and something that she was conditioned to do in the first episode of the series. And so I think this is maybe a bit optimistic for her miss. I'm going to align the entire continent under my own worldview of like, I don't need to bullshit anybody. I just need to tell it like it is. And everyone will accept me. I don't know me personally at 33 years of age. That's not necessarily how the world works. I'm more of a Geralt than a Siri in that regard, Mm -hmm. but I certainly can understand to your point why she has, that perspective, especially given everything she has gone through as of late. Totally agreed. Yeah. Let's briefly check in here with someone who pinged on our radar, very much so the first time around that we watched him.
4: Misterd.
3: Istred. I mean Istrid. Uh he is going to be led down his own path of mystery as a woman is going to show up, dropping off a bunch of stuff that he essentially put on like an Amazon wish list. <laughs> and it turns out that they are yeah. out of this one book about monoliths that, of course, we know Istrid was very much into, given his research from last season. This is going to be the book that is going to be eventually found in Stregabor's vault. That's going to also lead Ist- Istrid sort of on the chase here to find out who the employer is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I still like I'm going
2: back and I'm watching this and I still feel like. It would have been fun if he had ended up being the bad guy here. But I think that there's also something fun about him being, like, really desperate for these answers and being, like, really close to this universe and not knowing just how much uh, Bantha Pudu he has stepped in.
3: Yeah, I do like that as well. And I, I also wonder if we're looking out for possibly an Istra death yeah. near the end of this season, too, right? That he got too close uh, it's to It's himself. season
2: three, actually, Mike. Oh yes, sorry. Uh, Mm -hmm.
3: We should be looking out for it three. I should say, as he is possibly getting too close to this metaphoric stove. Three close, three close, three close. I apologize. I really have to just tune that out. Um, do my control Uh, that in my brain. Tune that out. I'm sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> I will threen that out.
2: Sorry, you can say two again.
3: Okay. <laughs> nope. Never. Now I can never say two <laughs> yeah. again in my Ara,
2: life. Th- Ara threesa Yeah. Uh-huh. There we go. Yeah. Well,
3: we're getting closer to Ara Arathreza, but we're going to stop at Nilfgaard for a hot second. As- this
2: played a little different for me on the rewatch, of course, knowing. So it's going to be, uh, we're going to, we're going to see Robbie and Melf make his pitch here uh, about, uh, oh, the elves are being uh, mishandled. I should be in charge of the elves. Francesca is misappropriating funds. She's disobeying your orders. She's redirecting all of my finest people towards finding a kid. Like finding, and it's like
4: ding, 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 ding.
2: Once he says that, I think it's the moment where we know this dude is toast because yeah. what he's saying, like that, that's a problem obviously for dooney is going to be like oh no that's exactly great okay she's doing the right thing uh and that this is going to end up being the moment where like okay kahir if you want to get back in you're gonna have to kill this guy so i think there's a moment where even on Kahira's face when uh when robbie Melph is like there's a girl uh you can see it on Kahira's face was like oh shit oh yeah. no, i'm gonna have to kill my friend
3: I mean, as Amel says, he's a warrior, not a politician. And maybe if he was the latter, he should have realized not to say too much in yeah. front of this guy. I mean, obviously he did not know that Amir is the father of Syria and have more of an interest. The reason why he is spurning off from, from Francesca in the first place is because he doesn't believe any of this Henikir crap. But it serves as a nice opportunity for Amir and Kahir to not only have a scene together, but to finally talk about the elephant in the room here of... Yeah, I kind of tasked you with bringing back my daughter and you biffed it multiple times. What is that about? Here's also going to make reference to something that we did see last episode that Josh, I'm not sure how to feel about that here is having Siri dreams.
2: Siri dreams. Um,
3: yeah. What do, you, do you have any Siri dream theories, Mike? I'm not sure. Siri Siri, is, theories... is Kahir just a psycho? Is he just a psycho I person? I mean, poor Canolo's dose, in sure. my opinion. Because, yeah. yeah, we saw this last episode that Siri took the place of, like, this soldier that was being the snot out of him saying, come find me. And then she vomited blood uh-huh. on him. And he's taking that to mean she wants me to find her. I don't think that's the case. I do believe my theory would be that he is just mad. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, This is the one that got away. Because remember, this guy is fanatically devoted to the point where he is going to kill one of his closest friends later on in this episode. So if he failed at the one thing he was given to do by like the savior of his life, that would be enough to drive a man mad at this point. And so Amir is going to try to you know uh get him off his knees in a manner of speaking he says an army is only as good as its leader i know a good leader when i see one and he tries to spin it as listen i gave you that job not because i wanted to punish you but it was a test to make sure that i trusted you are you ready to come home kahir and kahir is literally kissing the ring of amir that's all you need to know basically about like the dynamic that Amir has with seemingly all Nilfgaardians. Yeah. uh, I mean, this is a really satisfying scene because
2: it's just like, we've never really gotten this before. Uh, Right, Kahir
3: and Amir had shared one scene together and it was the final scene of season two with Amir being like, oh, nope, don't like it, you're fired.
2: You know, so like, this is starting to like redirect their relationship in the direction where Kahir is going to be like, useful to the story again, right? Like, you know, he's going to be able to like, be agent of duty. Uh mm. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> I didn't uh, watch that ABC spin-off.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what does D U N Y stand for?
2: <laughs> Dooney, uh is it that uh is uh is is Siri, is she the, the Queetsat Satarak? Is that what this mm. is going to turn out to be? Kind of big Benny Gesserit vibes in the first place.
3: Well, when she did warp to that plane where the wild hunt were at the end of season two, it kind of looked like uh the Sands of Arrakis, where they had mm-hmm. to wear the, the sort of breathing tubes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: So let's go back to Yaskir and Geralt. And this is the surprising moment where the whole, will Yaskier betray the trio storyline just completely comes out with the wash, yeah. right? We had the line that I mentioned before, and right, about Yaskir calling Siri a princess and trying to make this pitch for Redania. Jasker has yet another foreboding line about neutrality that neutrality has consequences too. And so Geralt's just going to like flat out say, hey, listen, I know you were talking with Redania. I got the screener for
4: episode one. What's Uh going on? Yeah.
3: And honestly, like good on Geralt. And it speaks to the strength of their relationship with this family goat that he's not mad. He's not even disappointed. He's more so just matter of fact. I know you'll tell the truth to me.
2: Yeah, I, again, I think that my feeling on this is exactly the same as what it was when we watched it the first time, which is like, I'm really glad that they didn't just drag this out. And I think we talked about this uh, not terribly long ago when we were talking about Geralt and Yennefer and how they could have stretched that out forever. I think that they could have stretched out a, yes, Gears betraying you sort of thing. And instead... It's just so much more in character for Geralt to be in tune with the people he knows. And even, you know, the people he doesn't know all that well. Like Geralt is like a superhero. Ooh, sorry. Oh, so sensitive subject. But he is, right? Like he kind of has this ability to to read people pretty well. He's so observant. Uh, and especially somebody he knows as well as Yaskier, who already is many things but like a major secret keeper, maybe not top of his talents uh, as such a loquacious guy who just wants to sing songs and tell stories. Uh, So they could have stretched it on, but it wouldn't have felt super plausible to the characters involved. And it is just like a nice, refreshing change of pace that a storyline like this, that in a lesser lesser show and a lesser story often would lead to like this big, bitter betrayal towards the end of the season that you know they'll resolve in the next season, uh, rather than doing that We just have Geralt be like, no, uh, just tell me now. It's cool. It's fine. I just want to hear what's going on.
3: Yeah, because who needs it? I mean, this storyline the entire season has been how it's everybody basically against our heroes. Why do we need an additional enemy? Another wolf in sheep's clothing as well. I feel like it makes more sense to just paint the enemies as they are and keep your friends close, too. We don't need to go power broker here josh of like oh a character we thought was a friend is now an enemy because they're driven by a completely different thing and then i have to eat another snake or a basilisk
2: yeah i don't need you to be eating more snakes than necessary
3: well perhaps a fake siri was eating some snake to wake up from the extraction elixir and initially she is going to sound somewhat coherent right she's going to tell this story about being dragged from her room by a man she's going to reference Rienz as the man with the scar and then also the lady with the funny voice, which is what Geralt's going to put together in episode five. Geralt's going to just sort of try to cut to the chase and press Taryn for a name. But of course, this is episode three out of five, Geralt. You're not going to get it. Instead, what you're going to get is, as you mentioned before, a full exorcist moment. Stupid witcher, you're doomed and you don't even know it. I am Cerberus' destiny. May all ye wail for the destroyer of nations is upon us. Going full, like... Galadriel trying to take the ring in fellowship
2: so tell me your interpretation of this knowing what we know through episode 5 Mike I've already laid out my this is Bill of the Forts, uh crazy cockeyed theory is it so crazy cockeyed or do you think that there's something else that's going on
3: Right, because if we look at Vilgefort, he is firmly allied either with or for Nilfgaard, depending on who you ask. But they are working together, and I wouldn't say that she's the destroyer of nations there, right? According to Amir, it's more so like the great unification. The destroyer of nations more so seems like a wild hunt thing. And in season two, we saw a lot of like Siri having visions and people talking to her in those visions and saying like, you are the walking death. You are the destroyer of nations. So maybe it is something a bit more mythical. Perhaps it is not coincidental that we will have the Wild Hunt show up in corporeal form at the end of this episode.
2: Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, could be, I mean, we. I, I know nothing anyway about the Wild Hunt beyond what the show has told us. Is there any evidence to suggest that, like, they could have some means of, like, puppeteering people like could the wild hunt be commanding Vilgefortz and Vilgefortz is actually working alongside the wild hunt as opposed to Nilfgaard I
3: mean it certainly could be in the Witcher blood origin the origin of the wild hunt sort of came about when this plane was opened up due to the main villain of the series sort of getting glamored or getting in league with like this powerful malevolent spirit that resided in there. Think about, uh, think about the the Baba Yaga. You know the Mir character. Jan Wick. Yes, exactly. Uh, from season two, uh, just don't kill his dog or his basilisk. Uh-huh, getting yeah, that was. Oh no, that was Jan Wick's basilisk oh, that Siri no, ended up killing. Watch no. out, Siri. Now you have another enemy in your stoops. So I could imagine that there is a chance that the Wild Hunt could be in league with another faction to try to take Siri. But that also doesn't seem like entirely their M.O. They are much more warriors than than politicians like Robbie Melf. Interesting. Um, so could there be then
2: a world instead where Vilgefortz isn't like being puppeted by the Wild Hunt, but maybe like Revere's?
3: The Wild Hunt. Yeah, that could uh, certainly be considering that he is this super powerful mage. And again, that was Isn't the... that
2: sort of like a classic fantasy tropey thing, uh like adventure genre trope of like, I mean, this is like Ark of the Covenant type stuff. Of yep, like exactly like i I believe in the wild hunt, the wild hunt is all, send Siri to the wild hunt. I'm gonna betray everybody in order to do that. And then Vilgefortz gets to the wild hunt and the wild hunt cleaves his head right off his shoulders. Like something like that feels very, very, very well-worn in the fantasy genre. So I could see something like that happening
3: here. And then Istrid shows up and says, this belongs in a museum.
2: Mm-hmm. So do you.
3: That's why he wanted the book in the first place, was just yeah. to put it in a museum. So let's go back to Siri enjoying her time. The donuts are gone, but the attractions are here as we get this rather jolly Barker who, like, It's a very easy crowd to win over, Josh. Apparently, you just have to wear a chicken hat, and people are just in titters about it. Yeah. Uh, I should be wearing my chicken hat more often. I mean, I didn't know there was an easy way to get laughs like that. Yeah. Uh,
2: Listen, you can get a lot of laughs out of hats. I have discovered this over the course of my
3: podcasting career. Well, you do wear a lot of hats as well, so it all Uh makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right now Siri's about to put on her warrior hat. She's literally going to take off her disguise right now. As Siri, again true to her justice-filled new mo, is going to speak up and be like, "Um, fact check. That is not a basilisk. That is a wyvern." I rewound this a couple times, Josh, because I was trying to figure out what the hell happened here. This absolute doof, this Barker, <clears throat> yeah. tries to swing a cane at Siri to get her to shut up, misses. Like incredibly so and accidentally knocks over the cage with the wyvern in it and then gets devoured by it. That might be one of the stupidest ways to die I've seen on the show. Do you think it's possible that it's just because like the chicken hat is so heavy and it's kind of hot
2: out that he's just physically uncomfortable because he's got the chicken hat on? And so he just like if he had taken the chicken hat off, maybe he wouldn't have had to get eaten.
3: Either that or the cane weighs like 50 pounds. The
2: other just... problem is wearing the chicken hat. The thing about chicken, this is something I learned from mm-hmm. my, uh, my life alongside the great Emily Fox, who ah. used to raise chickens when she was younger, uh, is that everything uh, loves the taste of chicken. Uh, chicken tastes like chicken to everybody. Uh, that includes you, me, human beings, and animals alike. So you see a guy wearing a chicken hat and you're going to be pretty hungry.
3: That's interesting. Yeah. Could it be like how bees are attracted to when you wear bright colors because they think you're a flower? Could the wyvern have just seen this chicken head and thought, oh, look at this giant portly chicken. Let me dig in. Yes. Okay, well now I'm going to not wear the chicken hat in the rare instance I run into a wyvern while I'm okay, podcasting.
2: Yeah, he's taking that chicken hat off. You know, the chicken hat is typically how I remove my head when I make my deals with people that I'll trade them my head in exchange for goods and services.
3: All right, so you could do the chicken hatting for both of us.
2: Yeah, I'll be the chicken hat man.
3: Well, I learned a lesson today, and Siri is about, to <laughs> as well. about chicken hats and head. Yeah, exactly. Being taken uh, off. Well, Siri is going to lose more than her chicken head as she is going to get pickpocketed by whoever the hell this is. So, Josh, this is a character called Missile, like without the toe. And this is. And not
2: like a homing missile?
3: No, like M I S T L E. Yeah, okay. So, this is a character from the books. Uh, that I think might be an introduction to a okay. faction that we have yet to be introduced to called The Rats. Okay. Uh, this, this seems to me a the lot rats? of- Rats? Yeah, this seems to me a lot of Volume 2 set up, I think. Mm,
2: yeah, Volume 2, Season 4, I was thinking as well. I remember watching this character first time, we're like, okay, that's setting something up, but nothing happens in this first volume. Uh, so this is all still TBD material, and with only three episodes left, and given where we left things in Episode 5, a little hard for me to picture how we uh, put this character back into the mix. Though you telling me a bit more about the rats might open the way towards some theories.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure either. I have to imagine it's a volume two thing just because this show doesn't seem like the one to set something up in like season one and then not follow up on it whatsoever until season two. I think they'll take the break and then say, okay, remember this character? Now she's coming back. But to your point, we can get into this more... Perhaps in the lead up to volume two, we end with everyone on Eratusa, you know, in this big conflict. I imagine we spend at least an episode there. I don't know if we go back to Gorsvalene in the remaining two yeah. episodes. And if so, how this girl gets involved.
2: Really hard for me to see.
3: Well, what's really hard for Siri to see is her money disappearing, as Siri is going to like go full cloak off and end up killing this Wyvern, but it turns out that she was pickpocketed. So, freaking out, she is going to use this talisman to try to find Yennefer. The good news is she will. Coincidentally, she'll just, like, run into her. The bad news is she also runs into her very hoity-toity mage friends. Right, and, you know, we've talked about this, and I I don't have a ton more to add on the subject of just, like,
2: this is more just like Siri being like, if this is, like, my best option, then, man, my options suck, because these people are phony as hell.
3: Yeah, exactly. And Yennefer tries to go forward with the proposition that day-to-day leading is dealing with a lot of vapid, power-hungry assholes. I'm not Geralt. This isn't Morin. This is the version of myself. I have to be here. So you need to find a version of yourself that can deal like that. And Siri flat-out tells her that she's selling her soul, which I think is a bit much. Listen, we all have to do this. We all have to put on certain faces or heads, perhaps, when we go into different professional settings. Like, I think you compare this on the episode-by-episode episode podcast to, like, if you're a kid and you see your parents at work and they sort of behave a different way than they do at home. It's just part of natural human behavior, in my opinion. But, again, Syria's had a very abnormal childhood, so this is a, yet another lesson she has to learn the hard way. Yeah, I think it's tough. Uh,
2: it's tough for, for Syria. Like, there is a part of me that's like, Girl, what are you doing complaining about spa day with these grapes and these hunky men serving you food? like this?
4: Is to
3: be the... fair, she's not the one uh, who's being served. She is serving because sure. they are disguising her as like one of Yen's acolytes. And so she has to be pouring wine for all these, you know, blithe, brash mages all the time.
2: Right. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe she's like, I can't believe you would take me to the spa and you wouldn't shell out from a treatment.
3: Yeah, listen, I wanna be in the mist with the I hot wanna mods. be
2: I wanna be getting the treatments.
3: Yeah, maybe that's the thing is like if they had just brought in fake Siri to be the servant uh-huh. and real Siri got to be in the towel getting, you know, the hot stone massage, then all would be hunky dory. That would be hunky dory. Well, speaking of a hunky dory, let's get back to <laughs> Geralt here. So this is the big scene that we spoke about beforehand where as Terran is resting he is going to ask Annika about what happened to his mother. Apparently, she was mistaken for an elf while helping a village and was beaten to death. Annika, of course, is going to try to defend Vicenna in her death, saying that love for a child forces parents to make the hardest choices of their lives, impossible ones even. Now, obviously, this plays into Geralt's life because as he's going to vocalize here and as we saw in flashbacks in the season one finale, Geralt and his mom were living this really, like, humdrum humble farm life and then according to Geralt one day he's on a wagon with his mom she asked for water he went to go get it he came back she was gone and then Vesemir showed up and took him and that led to him becoming the person that he is and we talked about this on the episode by episode recap but I have to state it again I don't like to see any character cry in this series but I love to see Geralt cry because especially from the beginning when he was personified as sort of this calcified person who had to put up all these barriers to just live on this continent for all the years that he does and take the lives that he does. It's nice to see that erode away due to his relationships with Siri and with Yennefer. This feels different because this is clearly something he has held in his heart for a very long time and for like a hot second you see that boy that was abandoned all those years ago.
2: Yeah, uh, you see such a youthful Henry Cavill that you can't help but wonder, couldn't this guy still be playing a young Superman? I feel like he could. Uh, but anyway, that's not my business. Uh, I do think that there's some there's some really great material in here, this idea of, like, um, she made her choice because she loved you, and he's like, that could not have possibly been her only choice. And Annika says, it wasn't. It's simply the one she made. Um, like, there's just, like, something about, like, you just, you, you, you know, ideally in this life, you do the best that you can and the best you can is good enough. Um, that's not always the case. Uh, sometimes what happens is you make a choice and the choice didn't work out uh, or the choice was born out of bad circumstances, whether it was discomfort, um, starvation, destitution, some other form of, you know, adversity, uh, a choice is born. And it leads to hard circumstances. And I think Annika here isn't like justifying uh, Geralt's mom and the decisions she made, but is humanizing uh, Geralt's mom. Uh, So I thought that that was great. And I love the way that that maps onto Geralt and his whole idea of like, I won't abandon Siri no matter what. I won't do what my mom did. I'm sitting here, Mike, being like, okay, so by the end of the season, Geralt's going to abandon Siri.
3: Right. That's what I was thinking as well, unfortunately, that he can say that now I'm not going to do what my parents did. But then at the same time, by the end of the season, is he going to be saying I was the one who made the wrong decision, but I have to be the one to live with it and move forward?
2: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with that, that right now he's the one to say, and I talked about this in opposition to Yennefer last episode, who was very much invoking a lot of what Tissaia had taught to her down to, you know, the sort of abusive nicknames that she was giving to her. And as is going to talk to her about in that conflict, right? Like, just because she saved your life doesn't mean you owe her yours for the rest of your life. Here, Geralt is outright saying, like, I disavow how I was raised. I will not raise Siri like that, which is a very valid way to parent. But at the same time, I think the lesson to take away, to your point, is something that Annika proposed, which is, like, you're not going to make the right decision all the time the thing you have to do is just learn to live with it. And even someone like Vicenna barely did. that. From his perspective, it might be seen as incredibly callous when apparently this was something to just drive her mad in the years that she lived afterwards. Yeah. Mmm. this is brutal. So, Dijkstra and Vizimir, speaking of brutal, are just having a nice dinner <laughs> at the opposite <laughs> end of a banquet table. Oh, oh, no. And Radovid's like, oh, I got this mail here. Uh, it says it's for you, buddy. Let's check it out, brother, courtesy of Nilfgaard. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Gwyneth Paltrow looks a lot uh-huh. different in this era.
2: Yeah. Oh, my God. All that goop did not do her any favors. No. It, I, has anyone looked at uh, Dijkstra's hands to see if he's got uh, band-aids on his fingers with which to remove his fingertips a la John Doe? Because I feel like there's some major seven vibes happening in this room.
3: True, though he is not the one to do it. Right. Uh, we will find out after this that Philippa, and I can't tell if like she just romantically influenced this servant or like actually glamored her using magic. We talked about mind control earlier on in this episode to get this servant to like not only cut off the head of the queen, but seemingly do so with glee. Yeah.
2: The weirdest thing about this scene is after uh, Vizimir, like, is, you know, ushered out of the room, and Dijkstra's like, yo, don't worry, we're going to take care of this, I'm so sorry, I'll I'm make so sure sorry. whoever, I'm so sorry, I'll make sure whoever <laughs> finds this, we're going to, we're going to make them pay, and then Vizimir leaves the room, and Dijkstra just, like, is like, "Woo!"
3: yeah i love him going back to this casual oh. looking at nails sitting in the chair yeah, being like, like
2: unbuttoning top button gut hanging out let me just eat this chicken wing uh and uh radovich is like really you're not even gonna be subtle about it and teacher's like what's the point
3: you're the one who handed him the head in a box he's not a fan of you anymore right i'm back in business baby he's back on top and i Love it. I mean, it was interesting to see Dijkstra have to navigate being knocked down a couple pegs, but this character is at his best, in my opinion, when he is just on top. Again, that little finger absolutely gloating on the top of the ladder he climbed, chaotically so.
2: hmm Yeah. So uh, this is wild. Uh, this is a pretty—I mean, I guess, like, what? so what happens if Vizimir dies? What happens to Redania?
3: I'm assuming it gets passed down to Radovid, right? right. we thinking about succession because I don't think they have any more children. There's no eldest son.
2: Right. And what happens to Radovid if Radovid dies? Who does it go to?
3: Now, that's a good question. Is it something like Dijkstra would step up as sort of like the king consort, right? Of, okay, until this is settled out, I'll be the king. Is there another distant relative who would come swoop in is the throne left vacant and then Nilfgaard just comes through and wreck shop
2: yeah so there's like not a ton of great options here uh like Dijkstra is like in a situation where the person who's at the head of the table is a bit of a turd uh and doesn't really know what he's doing and is sort of just in it to play uh table botchy basically uh so he could be like manipulated but this guy also has he he poses this problem of like wanting to feel like he's in charge of everything too. Uh, so like, I guess like killing his wife is going to make him so like soft and feeble brained as to be like really receptive to strong advice from his close counsel. So, like, I understand where just coming from with this power move. I'm not endorsing it. I don't think you should be cutting off anybody's heads unless, like, a contract has been filled out for goods and services and it's mm-hmm. your own and you're of dealing course, it out. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think as far as, like, what he thinks is going to happen, I see the path. Is it actually what's going to happen ultimately? Almost certainly not.
3: I would imagine the other reason why Deekstra did it is that he sort of saw a challenge from the Queen – as it seems like she was the person in Vizimir's ear to talk with Nilfgaard. He seems absolutely infatuated with her from the few times that we see her. Even He even goes to meet with Nilfgaard sort of at her request in the beginning of this episode. I feel like if they had built up that opposition a bit more, maybe the death would have felt a bit more like, okay, this is a move on Dijkstra's part to try to take out a competitor. Because that's what I feel like it is even more so than like, now the king is emotionally weak and I yeah. can take advantage of him. I see it more so as like, okay, this is the person that's closer to his ear than I am. Let me take that person away. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other thing we'll get from Redania in this episode is that Philippa is going to clock again this idea of, oh, when Nilfgaard met with us, there was this weird lady who didn't move her mouth. Now we're going to find out at the end of episode five, Josh, that Redania and Nilfgaard had worked together seemingly, right? Considering that it's going to end with Dijkstra holding a knife to Geralt's yeah. mouth. Again, a la Littlefinger, I told you, you should trust me. Yeah. So do we think that it's in this moment off screen where Philippa puts two and two together and is like, Okay, Rance's employer is working for Nilfgaard. Let's cooperate and try to pull something off here at the Conclave.
2: Um, I think that the one thing that I don't love about this is like since we're getting so much uh of like a Philippa and Dijkstra storyline that I do feel like when I when I think about it, I feel like we're robbed of something, uh, of not being able to see that backroom dealing. I think like I almost don't want us to go back and like backfill these details with like flashbacky type scenes, you know, cause we just did that. Um, but at the same time, like, I kind of feel like we're like, there's deleted scenes, like not that mm. they actually exist, but like, it feels like there's deleted scenes. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah. that There are plot points that are purposely left on the cutting. Room yeah. Floor and just, but it does satisfy necessar- the big
2: reveal. It doesn't necessarily feel fair uh, in the storytelling sense.
3: Yeah, and I think they wanted to go for, again, this big red wedding reveal that, like, the Boltons are working alongside the Lannisters at the end of episode five. Yeah, But that had nearly three seasons worth of, like, plotting and political scenes. Here, it doesn't necessarily happen. Maybe we'll get more of it, assumingly that they work together when we see, like, Vilgeforts and Philippa and Dijkstra working together in episode six and beyond yeah. that would hopefully fill it in a bit. But I, I do agree with you from this aspect. Let's also mention speaking of the conclave, cause we skipped over it. What Yennefer's big idea is right is okay. I already get a sense that the mages are turning against each other. Sorry, by the way, that's partially my fault, but what if I make it up to you by holding a conclave of mages? They did have one in the finale of season one that led to a schism and the battle of sodden. But this one's going to focus on trust and unity. If we have any hope of appealing to the kings, we first have to find better versions of ourselves. Not realizing that this is obviously something that the Brotherhood and the heads therein will use to their favor of essentially getting all the mages in one place at one time. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, Uh, well, I don't know what's going to happen when you get all those mages in the same place at the same time other than an epic dance party, Mike. And a lot of light bulbs screwed in. A lot of light bulbs. If any yeah. jokes
3: are of truth. Yeah. So let's talk about the exact opposite of a joke, which is the sad ending of Robbie Amelf here. Kahir is going to pay a visit to him in his quarters. And we get the Kahir origin story. He says that his father was a nobleman, that he was the black sheep of the family, though. Stom, you've heard this one before. Impetuous, mm-hmm. short tempered, mm-hmm. and rash judgment. Yeah. So is this supposed to be completely coincidental that this is how Vilgeforce described himself and Yen in the previous episode, or do you think these guys just have a very limited vocabulary on the continent? Uh,
2: maybe it's a limited, a limited vocabulary on the continent. I think like a couple of people heard the word impetuous, and they're like, ooh, I like that. Keep using that.
3: Yeah, that was my word of the day calendar said impetuous, yeah. so I should use it today. And Both episodes took place on the same day. I just thought it was interesting that, again, Kahir describes himself the same way as this mage that we'll later find out is working with Nilfgaard too. Yeah. So when the usurper took Nilfgaard, he enslaved Kahir's father and brothers, afraid that they could take revenge. But Kahir was left behind because he was just so weak. Clearly, he would not rise up and save the day alongside Amir. And look what he did to prove he is indeed the strongest of them all. He does accomplish a feat of strength, which is to jam a knife all the way into Robbie Amelf's neck. But Kahir is obviously very remorseful of it. He looks at himself in the mirror crying over the body of his dead friend, and he smashes it. Yeah.
2: I was getting, like, some romantic vibes between the two of them. Like, they're both just, like, pounding wine, and it feels like it's about to get physical, and then it does. Just not in the way that I was expecting it to. Uh, But it feels like a very sexually charged scene to me. Mm. Uh, And I think that there's still room to interpret it that way, that there is, like, um, this sort of like uh, unrequited uh, love affair that's going on between these guys. Uh, like the way in which Kahir seems to be kind of like psyching himself up. Like you you like you can like see, this is like when, um, when Indy and Willie Scott are like psyching themselves up to go into the other one's room in Temple of Doom and they never do it. Uh, it has that energy to it, to me in this scene. I don't know if I was alone in interpreting it that
3: way. No, it seems very Top Gun to me of uh, almost like, homoerotic machismo of mm-hmm. like we are so comfortable in our masculinity and our blood thirstiness that we are like pumping each other up and bonding over it i mean here's sexuality is definitely a big question mark we don't necessarily see him making romantic advances towards anybody Just blush that's a really interesting read though yeah yeah it was just something that stood out to me on this one well, you know what stands out to me still? That awful CGI of Siri galloping to escape the Wild Hunt.
2: Yeah, sure. But it is so interesting then that it, like, it becomes this incredible effect uh, of the storm clouds
3: uh, turning into the Wild Hunt. Yeah, as they have come to form right behind her. She tries to will them away, your ghosts, corpses. And the lead says, yes, we are corpses, but you are death itself. And Geralt rides in to save the day. I skipped this before, but Ciri was able to use the talisman to try to, like, cerebro it, right? Trying to hone in on where Geralt's location is because she'd lost Yennefer, And so I'm assuming that signal was kind of reciprocal as Geralt was able to find her and send the Wild Hunt off. They lovingly reunite, but Ciri finds a smoking piece of armor mm. left behind, a piece of evidence that the Wild Hunt is real. They were real. And they're spectacular. And they're. Spect- <laughs> so, yeah, this is yet another thing that doesn't really get addressed in this first volume after this, but I got to assume we get another Wild Ton appearance in the last three episodes, right? Yeah, I would
2: expect so. I think it will be very frustrating if we don't get something like that.
3: All right, and that is Reunion, Josh. What did you think about it overall?
2: Uh, I, I like this episode. Uh, I I do think, like, I'm wanting for uh, a little bit more to, like, shine a light on the Volgafort's reveal being something that's very exciting and worth leaving us as our mid-season cliffhanger. I'm not sure that I'm getting as much of that as I want at this point, but I think there's some, like, isolated scenes in here that are just really, really great. And Henry Cavill's work in that scene of, like, Geralt processing his mother and hearing from Annika like the kinds of hard choices you got to make as a parent um lots of really good stuff in here I think for sure what about you
3: I agree I think it's the most scattered episode we have covered so far because we have Geralt's storyline we have Yen and Ciri's storyline we have Nilfgaard's storyline I even skipped over it we have like a brief Francesca Filavandrel scene we have the Istredd scene there's a Rance and Lydia scene this episode felt the most like while the next two episodes will sort of merge the lanes of this highway. This felt a bit more like the entrance ramp of, okay, let's remind everyone about all the characters now that we've sort of gotten our feet wet into the show so far. But that being said, there was a lot of really great isolated stuff weighed in here. As I mentioned before, absolutely love the scene of Geralt talking about his mother. The Yen and Siri dynamic, while well, it can be a bit frustrating at some times, as I mentioned before, I see both of their dynamics. And so I thought it was a really interesting sort of meeting of the minds there. Really enjoy what was going on with Kahir here. And a bit of a reminder that despite how much we got to know his character, even in that scene, who he's devoted to at the end of the day, and it ends on a really interesting, malevolent note that has yet to be answered, but will in due time.
2: Will in due time. Uh, all right. Well, that's it, Mike. That's the podcast, right? Unless you've got like another head
3: deal you'd like to try and make. That's the podcast, but Josh, I will make a head deal for you because, unfortunately, we will have to switch out your <laughs> head. This will be yeah. the last Volume 1 podcast you'll be appearing on for The Witcher.
4: Yes,
2: I have, uh, I have some business to attend to elsewhere, a different head deal that I had made that I'm going to have to take into account uh, that's going to keep me away from you while you are uh, finishing out the Volume 1 podcasting. But I'll be back for that Volume 2 binge, baby. You know it.
3: Yes, absolutely. Josh is not gone forever. He's just going to make some deals with Nilfgaard, and then when he'll come back and it'll be revealed, it'll be something that it will take us by surprise. We had no idea. But in his stead... We have got a hell of a substitute. Liam Hemsworth is coming into the fold. No.
2: (laughs) Oh, no. I watched a Liam Hemsworth deepfake uh, today. Oh, no. Of Um, Geralt? Yeah, like putting Liam Hemsworth. God, it was
0: weird. It was so weird.
3: Oh, boy. Well, we have a while to get adjusted to it, if the strike is of any indication. But who we're actually having on to cover the last episodes, I'm really excited for this because this guy is one of our consummate fantasy experts here on Post Show Recaps. DM Philly. Is coming in he is a big fan of the witcher source material the books the games and the show proper he's really excited to be talking season three so we're going to take a bit of a weekend off and then come monday rich and i will be covering episode four of the witcher season three and then we'll be back for that head tilting episode five. We'll get Rich's thoughts about the series overall as well. His thoughts on the characters. Very excited to get Rich's thoughts overall. Again, another fantasy property.
2: Yes. uh, You can't get better than DM Philly.
3: Well, Josh, since this will be the last time you'll be on the Witcher podcast, anything particularly you want to plug as of late?
2: No, not really, other than you and I are rocking the Battlestar Galactica podcast on Down the Hatch here on Post Show Recaps. We've got our episode three recap coming next of season one. It's a spoiler-free podcast for anyone who has never watched Battlestar Galactica before, including Mike Bloom. So you're in safe hands there. And in fact, the great DM Philly joined me for a spoiler-filled version of the Battlestar Galactica podcast. For the patrons of PSR, uh, that podcast is available for anybody to listen to on Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. But yeah, uh, BSG Man, uh, having such a fun time talking about that with you, Mike. That's the thing I want to plug. Did you just reveal
3: a character we'll meet in Season 3, BSG Man? Yeah, BSG
2: Man is coming up.
3: It's a real meta thing where, again, this show is very ahead of its time. We're like, in a pivotal battle, the camera turns around 180 degrees and it's revealed that the guy holding it is bsg man and of course he's a cylon
2: yeah that's it yeah and also is trying
3: to ask pam out on a date wow well i'm so sorry that i ruined the viewing experience of so many people that i've already predicted the ending of Battlestar galactica but we will soldier forward with that as well as our coverage of the witcher season three Josh, this was fantastic as per usual thank you so much for bringing your entire head and bye. So my pleasure, yes. Again, Monday, I'll be back with DM Philly to continue our coverage with episode four, The Invitation, and you're all invited. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye.
4: When you listen fast to all our podcasts, an impressive feat since our network is vast actually much more behind an online door become a patron and enjoyment will soar so many different perks a discord to lurk get early releases and maybe some merch podcast exclusively like extra and ya it's but tons of content to fill out your day Toss a coin to Patreon support post show recaps support post show recaps oh Toss a coin to Patreon come join our community